I'm going to ask this question. How many of you have already voted? Wow. So I don't need to tell you to go out and vote. <laughs> you already did that. You know, it's amazing, you know, we as believers in Christ, our responsibility is to use our hands in prayer, raise our hands in praise, but also get that pen and fill in those ovals because that is our Christian responsibility as well. And I trust that we will pray. And, and if you want to join us this coming Thursday for a prayer meeting here at church, we're going to pray for our country and pray for the elections. Well, today we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts that's called Church Reboot. Last week, we were in the waiting room with the disciples in Acts 1. In Acts 2, we're in the delivery room with the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. Speaking of delivery rooms, I have some good news. Esther, my youngest, has finally had her baby, Gracie Lane Ellerby. And that is hashtag 15 for Donna and I. So we are very happy to be grandparents again. Well, in Acts chapter 2, the church is finally born. Follow as long as I read verses 1 to 13 here in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they're full of new wine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow in your presence today, and thank you for your precious word. I pray that, Father, you would take this event on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, and use it to inform our minds and move our hearts to full obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Pentecost. Pentecost means 50th, because this feast... This Jewish feast was held 50 days after another feast called the Feast of Firstfruits, celebrating the wheat harvest. The calendar of the Jewish feasts are found in Leviticus chapter 23, and really it is an outline of the work of Jesus Christ in prophecy. Passover pictures the death of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The Feast of Firstfruits pictures his resurrection from the dead. And 50 days after Firstfruit is the Feast of Pentecost, 
of the Feast of Weeks, which pictures the formation of the church. It was also the day that the Jews celebrated the giving of the law, but Christians celebrated because of the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. So the Feast of First Fruits took place on the day after the Sabbath following Passover, which means it was always on the first day of the week. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week and became the first fruits of them that slept. Now, if Pentecost was 50 days later, seven weeks plus one day, 49 plus one, then Pentecost also took place on the first day of the week, on the Sunday. And Christians, the reason why we assemble on Sunday instead of Saturday is because Christians are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday. But it was also on a Sunday that the giving of the Holy Spirit was accomplished. So Pentecost, the church is born. Let's look first of all, verses 1 to 13, the power of Pentecost. Now, some Christians feel that uh, we can experience another Pentecost. However, like our Lord's death at Calvary, Pentecost was a once-for-all event that will not be repeated. The church may experience new fillings of the Spirit many times, but we would not ask for another Pentecost any more than we would ask for another Calvary. It's a once-for-all event. Let's look at the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look at verse 5 of chapter 1, we will see that Jesus said this. He said, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice, baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Of course, this was 40 days after his resurrection when he ascended. He said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 4, it's the fulfillment of that. When the Spirit came, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the arrival of the Holy Spirit happened here, and it can contain two physical signs. The Spirit, first of all, came, and the sound was of a rushing, mighty wind. Now, it wasn't wind. It was the sound of wind. You ever heard a big wind coming, like a tornado? If you are from the Midwest, maybe you've... How many of you have actually heard a tornado? Uh, it sounds like a freight train, doesn't it? I've heard those before. If you are Florida residents, if you've been here any time at all, you know what the sound of a hurricane sounds like, especially when you're guttering and the rest of your roof starts falling off. You, you know the sound. Well, they were gathered together in that upper room, and they had this, this sound of a mighty wind, and then also the sight of appearances like tongues of fire. It wasn't a real fire, but it looked like over each of those 120 followers of Jesus, there was the appearance of fire. And of course, wind and fire are both symbols of the Spirit. And so what was God doing? He was trying to get their attention, that this is different. This is the coming. I'm sending my Spirit upon you. And that happened. Those were the two uh, signs of that. Notice the wonders of the Spirit. What happened? 
Well, there's three things I want to point out to you that happened, the wonders of the Spirit. First of all was the baptism of the Spirit. Now, Jesus said in Acts 1.5, before he ascended, that you will be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. So the first thing that's going on is the baptism of the Spirit. Now, what did that accomplish? It was what we call the birth of the church where believers, those 120 believers, they were added to what is called the body of Christ, which is the church. And Paul testifies in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves are free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now, we know what water baptism is. Water baptism is the public witness of a person's identification with Jesus. While spirit baptism is the personal and private experience that identifies us with the person of Christ. So the baptism of the spirit is not an experiential thing. When you get saved today, of course, the day of Pentecost was the first time they had the baptism of the Spirit, but what about the rest of the believers that got saved after Pentecost? The moment you get saved, you are baptized in the Spirit. You are united with the body of Christ. It is not an experiential thing. You don't say, oh, wow, I just got baptized in the Spirit. No, it's nothing like that. It's something that happens immediately when you're saved now. You are added to the body of Christ. But there's another thing that happened, and that is the filling of the Spirit, and that is in Acts 2.4. Acts 1.5, they were going to be baptized in the Spirit. The Spirit came down. They were added to the body of Christ, and they were filled with the Spirit. The word filling means controlled. Now, you know when someone is under the influence of alcohol or they're under the influence of drugs. They act in a way that is different than themselves. Maybe their walk is funny, their speech is slurred, they're not able to control their, their uh, walking in a straight line or thing like that. But when we are filled with the Spirit, we are controlled. We have a new power with new abilities, new uh, strength to serve the Lord. So the filling of the Spirit also happened there on the day of Pentecost. Several verses of Scripture show us in the book of Acts that this was not the only time that they were filled. They were filled with the Spirit then, but also in Acts 4.8, it says, then Peter filled with the Spirit, so he's filled again. In Acts 4.31, it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So several times, the same group of people were filled here at Pentecost. They were filled in Acts 4. They were filled later on throughout the Scripture. So it's, it's kind of like the Spirit coming upon you, give you a new boldness, a new control to serve God and to be blessed by Him. Speaking to a large audience, D.L. Moody once said, he held up a glass, an empty glass, and asked, how can I get the air out of this glass? One guy raised his hand and said, get a pump and secure it to the top and suck the air right out of it. <laughs> 
Well, Moody said, I think that would collapse the glass. And other suggestions were made, and none of them sounded good. How do you get the air out of an empty glass? And Moody had a pitcher of water, and he set the, the glass down, and he simply poured the water into the glass till it was filled to the rim. And he said, there, all the air is now removed. Then he went on to explain that victory in the Christian life is not accomplished by sucking out a sin here and there, but by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to His body. The fullness or the filling of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Him. The baptism is final. The fullness can happen repeatedly throughout our life. The baptism involves all other believers, for it makes us one in the body, while the fullness is a personal and individual. Now, these are two distinct experiences, and they must not be confused. The baptism adds us to the body of Christ. The filling gives us new power to serve Him. What else happened here? They spoke with tongues. Now, I think that we need to understand what that means. A lot of people feel that the tongues here in Acts and in Corinthians are, are just ecstatic utterances. If you read carefully this account in Acts, they spoke in languages that were known. I think the confusion that people get is in the King James it says unknown tongues. Well, it doesn't mean that it was unknown language that they've never heard before. It was unknown to the speaker. I mean, if, if someone would tell me to speak Russian, I mean, it would be an unknown tongue to me. You know, I could muddle my way a little bit through some of the other languages, but I have no concept. And all of these people here in Acts chapter 2 were from different languages, and those 120 disciples were given the ability to speak with different languages so that these gathered Jews from all over the Roman Empire, from the different lands that didn't understand anybody else, they heard the wonderful works and the praises of God coming from these 120 in their own language. And then in 1 Corinthians, it was also the speaking in a known language. It was not just gibberish or some ecstatic utterance. So that's the kind of tongues. Why did God do this? For one thing, Pentecost was a reversal of the judgment at the Tower of Babel. Remember that? In Genesis, in the Tower of Babel, God confound, confused man's language. God's judgment at Babel scattered the people, but God's blessing at Pentecost united the believers in one spirit. At Babel, the people were unable to understand each other, but at Pentecost, Men heard God's praises and understood what was said. I uh, don't believe that tongues were a permanent gift. There are some gifts that were intended to be temporary. The apostle, the gift of apostle. We don't have apostles today. Uh, the gift of uh, raising people from the dead and healing of people having the gift of healing individuals and the gift of tongues. Even 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, tongues shall cease. So I don't believe that that is a gift that's viable today. That's just what I teach here from, from the scriptures. But it was a wonderful display of the power of the Spirit. They could miraculously heard. It, it gave a, um, 
God was calling attention. You world, my son, gospel is here. Listen to these people. And thousands of people were saved on that day. What is the reaction? Verse 7, first of all, it was amazement. Then they were all amazed. Also in verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speak in our own language, the wonderful works of God. Verse 12, so they were all amazed. It was just amazing. They'd never seen anything like this. They never heard any kind of language like this. They heard the gospel message and people praising the Lord. Also curiosity, verse 12, amazed, perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? They were just scratching their heads. What is going on here? And some were mocking. Verse 13, they're full of new wine. These people are just drunk. Don't pay attention to them. So that was the, the power of Pentecost, but I want you to notice the preaching of Pentecost. Verses 14 to 40 is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. It's one of the longest sermons in the entire uh, New Testament, but we're not going to uh, examine the whole sermon. We're just going to hit uh, some high points. Notice the introduction. First of all, in verse 14, they ask the question in, in these verses, verse 12, what could this mean? What is going on here is what they're saying. Then Peter, who is the, the leader of the group, leader of the disciples, he stands up and he is getting attention and he says, he raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes in to quote that passage from Joel chapter 2. This was not something that Peter was going to pass up. He was going to use this to preach the gospel. And this is the explanation of the message. The theme of his sermon, you might say the title of his sermons in verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. He's telling all these Jews, you've been waiting for the Messiah and you're gathered together on this feast day and I want to tell you that these men are not just drunk, they are proclaiming you the wonderful works of God, and I want to tell you that this Jesus, whom you crucified, He is the Savior. He is the Messiah sent forth. And He proves that. He explains His message. He proved it by three things. First of all, by His works in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in our midst, as you yourselves also know. You people have seen him. You've seen him. You've heard that he walks on water. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He performed miracles of multiplying the loaves and fishes. He healed people all around. You cannot have missed it. He's proving himself that he is Messiah. He is the Christ by his works. But Peter's second point is that he is the Christ by proving that by his resurrection. 
Notice it says in verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Not only were you involved in killing him, God was showing that he is the Messiah. He is the son of God. And I'll prove it by raising him from the dead. And he says, we, his followers, seen him. We seen him, we handled him, we touched him, we ate with him. He was just here 10 days ago, and then he ascended up into heaven. He proved himself by his resurrection. <coughs> Excuse me. Also, he's proving that he is the Messiah by the outpouring of his spirit. And then verses 33 to 36, in verse 36 it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he explains this whole thing, and even using the Old Testament character of David to predict that he would rise again and connected it with Jesus. So Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he introduces what is happening to these men as they were filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And then he explains that Jesus is the Messiah, and then he gives an invitation. In verse 37, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what Peter is doing here. He is giving an invitation, and we see what's happening. First of all, there was conviction. It says that they were cut to the heart, and they said, what shall we do? And then Peter said, repent, change your mind. Now, repentance means all aspect of conversion, even includes faith. And then he said, be baptized. This is a command. Repent and be baptized. It's a command from uh, the Lord Jesus is command from Peter because he takes the scripture. A lot of people look at Acts 2.38 and they confuse that. They look at baptism as a part of salvation because it says repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So they look at repent, be baptized in order to be saved. They connect the two. And there's a lot of even denominations that believe in baptismal regeneration. Uh, You've you got to get in the water before you can get fully saved. You know, they connect the two. But if, if you look at this text, be, repent and be baptized for. The word for doesn't always mean uh, for, for. It also could be used for several different other meanings. Um, it's like having uh, this statement by a police officer. The man was wanted for murder. He was picked up for questioning. There's two different meanings in that. So what are we to do with this difficult verse? Well, we need to look at the 90 verses in Scripture, 90, that clearly teach faith plus nothing equals salvation. 90 other places in the Scripture, it's very clear, uh, baptism is not involved in that. Repent, be saved. Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Other verses all through the New Testament show that salvation is only by faith. 
So how are we to understand this one verse that says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins? It would be better to understand the word for and this verse to say, repent and let each of one of you be baptized because of the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of your sins. So baptism here in this understanding would be the sign of the fact you've been forgiven. You've been saved by your faith, get baptized to show a public display of your faith. I often use this in my new members class. A police officer is a police officer um, because he's been hired for that. He's been deputized. He has a, a badge. But when he puts on the uniform, you can know, you can see, oh, yes, that is a police officer. Now, there's another illustration of that is these unmarked police cars. Is that unmarked police car still a police car? Yes. But when the blue and the red lights are flashing, oh, yes, that's a police car. I could see it now. <laughs> it's like baptism. You're saved by your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but baptism lets everybody else know, oh, yes, that person's a believer, and we're going to have a baptism next week. Gonna, these, these people have been saved before, and they've given testimony of that, and they get in the water, they're just letting everybody know that they are a believer. So that's the best way to understand Acts 2.38. Well, what happened? After Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, what was the product of Pentecost in verse 37 to 40? The first thing that we see here is that they were conviction. They were under conviction. That is something that only God can do. In verse 37, it says they were cut to the heart, cut to the heart. God's Holy Spirit works every time His Word is preached. And when there is one that God has chosen to salvation, He begins to work on their heart, prepare the ground. A 12-year-old boy was saved one time at a revival meeting, and later he got together with his friends, and his friends were questioning about his salvation. One said, did you see a vision when you got saved? Another said, did you hear God speak to you? The boy answered all these questions with a simple no. Well, how do you know you were saved, they asked. The boy replied, well, it's just like when you go fishing, you know. When you're going fishing, you catch a fish, you don't see the fish sometimes, you don't hear the fish sometimes, you just feel him tugging on your line. <laughs> and that's what the Spirit of God does. He tugs on your heart when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Conviction was the first thing that was going on as a product of this uh, sermon. And then conversion. Verse 40, Peter said to them, in many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved. Glad, and they gladly received his word, verse 41. They were genuinely converted. They were genuinely converted. And then the conduct of the early believers, verses 41 to 47. Now, we're going to devote next week to these seven verses of Scripture uh, as a whole message. Uh, I'm going to call it Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Church. Seven, seven things that they were doing that were, were evidence of God at work, God at work. 
as we look at this, this message on the day of Pentecost, there's a couple things that I'd like to take from that that we need today. We need the power of the Spirit to work in our lives and to work in our church. You know, some churches are, are just methodical. They just go through the motions. They meet on Sunday. They have their, their meetings and they do all of these things. But it, it's like having a house that has just recently been wired. They got all of the, the outlets. They've got all of the lights all established and all the electrical work has been in place and everything is there, but there's one problem. No one forgot, someone forgot to turn on the power. And there's a lot of churches just like that. Everything is wired right. They're doing things. They're going through the motions. But there's no power of the Spirit working in believers' hearts, working in the assembly. We need desperately God's Holy Spirit to work among us. There's another lesson that I think that we can learn is that early church in Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one place in unity. I tell you, I've been in churches when they are not even together on the simple things. And the devil wins so many times when God's people are not walking in unity together. Here's the third lesson. On this day of Pentecost, 3,000 people believed and received Christ as Savior. And that is job one of Peace River Church, to see people come to faith in Christ. Now, I can't save anybody. You know, I don't have the power. But I, I can do one thing. I can preach the gospel. I can get it out there. We can teach God's Word and ask the Holy Spirit to work through His Word to bring about conviction of people's sins. Folks, this world doesn't have anything to offer that's lasting, that will satisfy your soul. Only Jesus Christ, and when He saves your soul, you can get your act together, and people can be saved. Perhaps someone here today has never, never really Ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Would you like to do it today? I'm going to give you that opportunity. Will you bow your head with me? No one looking around. Many of you have been walking with the Lord, and you know for a fact that Jesus is your Savior. Some of you might have a question about that. If you're here and you've never made sure that your sins are forgiven, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I don't often do this, but sometimes I want to give that opportunity for you to make sure you believe in Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit has been tugging at your heart and you'd like to make sure that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if this is God speaking to you, you can repeat this prayer as well, calling on the Lord. Father, I know. I'm a sinner. I know my sins have separated me from God according to your word. I now believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And the best way I know how, I ask Jesus to become my Savior. I ask it in his precious name. Amen. Heads bowed. Anybody pray that prayer at all? Anyone? Just so I can be encouraged, just raise your hand. 
if you prayed that prayer for the first time. Father, I thank you for your word, and I know that your spirit still works. We might not see 3,000 saved, but you still save people one soul at a time. God, continue to work in this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand together for our song? As we go, may your spirit As we go, may we follow where you lead. May we live what we have learned, share the message we have heard, and be a light unto the world. As we go, as we go, may your spirit message we have and be a light unto the world as we go. Harold Baldwin has taken our new members class and he's met with the deacons and he has filled out his application and would like to join Peace River. Is there someone that would make a motion that we accept him? Amy and Terry Merriman. All in favor signify by saying aye. Uh, All opposed? Harold, welcome to Peace River. Thank you, Pastor. Fully members. God's people said amen. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. We can be in the house of the Lord and and seeing people join our church. And we've got more that's going to be joining in the next few Sundays. And I pray your blessing upon these new members. And I pray that you would walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen.